0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week on Wednesday Weekend Wrap on February the 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, 2022. I am Van Battam. I'm the regular co-host of The Week on Wednesday on Wednesdays, but I will be doing The Weekend Wrap, the short version of uh, news commentary for the week, because Ben Davison, your regular host, has managed to lose his voice. And what fun it's been in the Battam Davison household uh, with the rap tests, making sure there's no nefarious viral reason for Ben's lost voice. He is in the room with me, as is the dog who's having quite the tail wag. So this week was supposed to be Get Albo Week. I uh, realised that it didn't really come across that way. So Get Albo Week was when the Liberal Party, who are down fairly significantly in the polls, um, News Poll had them uh, down 44 to 56 against Labor, which even with a margin of error is pretty conclusive Labor victory if an election was held in the next 10 minutes. And the strategy of the Liberal Party was to hang a bunch of issues on Anthony Albanese's head and to demonise his leadership of the Labor Party and brand him badly didn't really work out that way. So the sort of centrepiece in this strategy was, of course, Scott Morrison's much vaunted religious discrimination bill, also known in some quarters as the aspirational bigot bill. Now, this was a part of just old-school Liberal Party uh, political wedging. So, this religious discrimination bill was posited in language that was about safeguarding the religious freedom of all Australians. Uh, What it was really about was about an agenda to uh, marginalise and allow discrimination against the LGBTQIA community, specifically in regards to providing opportunities for religious organisations to. exerts a form of discriminatory control with a number of carve-outs from existing anti-discrimination legislation, like the Sex Discrimination Act, that would enable them essentially – the symbol that everybody has used is that it would have empowered them to expel transgender children from school if they went to a religious school Which is, you know, pretty much the definition of disgusting that in a country such as Australia, which is based on, you know, this great egalitarian ethos that somehow we're not always brilliant at getting right, that you would pick on literally children, um, children of different experience, children who we know are very vulnerable to harassment, discrimination, marginalisation in forms of their life and the way that compounds to have extremely negative mental health outcomes and an increased suicide risk uh, that you would make those children and associated communities, transgender community, LGBTQIA community at large um, on the receiving end of legislation designed to privilege a religious experience obviously based around the kind of you know religious leadership provided by places like city point Christian College in Brisbane that recently was offering contracts for children to sign essentially saying that they wouldn't identify as LGBTQIA um, because as per the contract offered by the college, that was somehow comparable to pedophilia and bestiality, which is of course not the case and a really, really disgusting slander on an enormous community of Australians. So that was the intent and purposes of the bill was to wedge Labor, to say you can either vote to defend the religious freedom of uh, religious minorities, or you can reject the bill uh, to defend the, the right of LGBTQI people to go about their business without harassment by bigots. The reason why it was positioned in such a way as a religious discrimination bill was because it's very well known to the Liberal Party that there are considerable communities of religious minorities that are concentrated in Labor seats. And actually, uh, communities of Muslim Australians, Jewish Australians, Hindu Australians and Sikh Australians are subjected to forms of discrimination Based on their religious expression, I mentioned this this week that if you have never seen a racist try to hide their racism by saying something like "Islam isn't a race," uh, isn't a race, and then be extremely racist, just go to Twitter and wait five minutes because that will happen. And we know that there are loopholes in Australian law that do allow expressions of discrimination against people on the basis of their religious expression to occur, and that this is in the context of a broader, you know, structural tradition of racism uh, amongst, you know, dominant ethnic communities by population, and it is disgraceful. And Labor absolutely has a moral obligation to those communities to protect them from harassment and discrimination. But you you can just imagine Scott Morrison and the, you know, Liberal Strategy masterminds rubbing their hands going, ha, 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 we're either going to make um, Albanese and Labor, um, uh, you know, hurt the LGBTQIA community or hurt. These, you know, religious minorities. Ha 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 ha. Well, it didn't really work out that way. And I've actually done a very long post on my Facebook page, my public one, which anybody can access, uh, explaining the precise machinations of what on what went on with the religious discrimination bill. Because what Labor did was they pledged very publicly to support um, legislation that would protect people from religious discrimination. Um, absolutely. But they also made it very clear that they were not going to facilitate legislation that would, you know, cause harm to LGBTQIA communities, and they pulled this off in some of the most amazing parliamentary tactics I've ever seen. Now I know a lot of people are uh, of the uh, of the belief, based on the way that the issue has been presented and discussed by certain people, that Labor should have just blocked the bill, they should have just blocked the bill. I really need to stress to people that the parliamentary system that we live in, Australian democracy, is a majoritarian system and that means that in the lower house, which is the House of Representatives, government is formed. Scott Morrison gets to be Prime Minister because the Liberal National Party Coalition has a majority of seats. So when you vote for your local member – That is the person, the individual one person from each electorate who goes into the House of Representatives. And whoever gets the most seats, gets a majority of seats, gets to be the government and gets to pick all the ministers. So all of the ministers in the Cabinet and the Prime Minister are all from the Liberal National Party Coalition. They also get to pick the parliamentary speaker who conducts all the business in the House, and that's the person who sets the legislative um, agenda for the day or guides the legislative agenda. But people don't seem to understand that the majority win everything. It's all or nothing. And currently in a house of 151 seats, the Liberal National Coalition controls 76 of them. That's a majority. That's why Scott Morrison is prime minister. And there is no numerical space for the Labor Party to block anything, even if they team up with all the crossbenchers, because the Speaker sort of sits out the votes unless they're a tiebreaker. And guess what? The Liberal Nationals have 75 and the Labor Party and all the cross benches—Wilkie, the Green, um, uh, Bob Carter—all of them—they make seventy-five. So if the Speaker is the deciding vote in a tiebreaker, that means the Liberals win every time, every time. And I—I I, I think some people don't understand this, and that's fine because now I'm explaining it to you. So Labor had this situation with the religious discrimination bill that they wanted to support marginalized religious communities, but they also did not want to abandon LGBTQIA Australians. So what they did was... Kind of a kind of brilliant and amazing, where they said we will support this bill, but we are going to press for amendments and press for amendments to the Sexual Discrimination Act, which um, or discussion around the Sexual Discrimination Act, which was part of what was going. There was a big parcel uh, that was covered by the Religious Discrimination Bill that intersected in various different relationships. They knew that they could that they had the support of some crossbenchers around those amendments. But they pledged to support the bill because they couldn't block it, but they knew that they had space to negotiate amendments, that if they were supporting the bill anyway, that would give them some cachet to create these amendments. I want to be very clear because people are like, oh, but, you know, with all the crossbenchers. Two of the crossbenchers in the lower house are Bob Catter famously, famously not a friend of the LGBTQIA community. Bob Catter on record is saying that literally no LGBTQIA people live in his seat, which is not true. Um, And the other crossbencher of note in this discussion is Craig Kelly, also not a friend of that particular community. So the way that the votes actually fell, if you can count all the Liberals, all the Nationals, Catter and Craig Kelly, was 77 versus 73. Yes, 77 versus 73, not even needing the tiebreaker vote of the Speaker. So Labor couldn't block it, like no power to block it. What they could do by pledging to support it was negotiate these various amendments, knowing that there would be crossbenchers who would support the amendments and that they had an opportunity of breaking off some Liberals to vote with the various amendments, the strategy is called gutting a bill. So the strategy was, and it is highly unusual for liberals to not to not to break off in Australia. Even though the the, the political tradition is that if you're in a party, you vote with the party leadership. It's not America where people just do whatever they want. Strangely enough, in Australia, if you're Labor, you vote to back in what Labor does and if you're Liberal you vote to back in what Liberal does. And when people vote against their party leadership, it's called crossing the floor. So what Labor did was they knew that there would be no Liberals who would vote against the legislation en masse because there's an election coming, there are huge political consequences for not supporting the leadership of your party on a bill. They're lesser if you um if you split off for various amendments. So Labour needed to get three more votes from the ranks of the Liberals and Nationals in order to get various bits of that legislation changed. So gutting the bill meant going after the bits and pieces that were about active discrimination against transgender children and the rest of it. The broader strategy was that if they could cut out from the bill what Christian bigots who Scott Morrison is trying to appease really wanted which was the right of places like city point to be just grossly homophobic and transphobic to young people and cause social marginalization and active harm if they could cut, if they could cut out those bits and gut those bits from the legislation that Morrison and the liberals and nationals who were supporting this and supporting this ideologically would not really want the bill anymore like if this was literally a bill about Religious freedom pertaining to listening the discrimination of genuinely marginalised um, communities in Australia. The, the Liberals probably weren't that interested in it, and it was an unbelievable gamble because they knew that the the Liberals they could break off, they couldn't break off consistently, not on all amendments. And they had to find places that they could get their support for various amendments. Rebecca Sharkey, who's from Centre Alliance. Um, who's one of the crossbenchers in the lower house, she moved these things and it was about providing political cover to people like Trent Zimmerman, who's the Liberal member for North Sydney. So Zimmerman is a traditional social liberal, economic conservative, let's not forget that, but he is a social liberal and he has been an ally, a political ally of the LGBTQIA community, as much as you really can be in the Liberal Party. Um, And they knew that if they... They couldn't convince him to block the entire bill, but they could convince him on various bits and pieces to gut and support. And the strategy worked. So the bill went through the lower house because um, after it had been gutted, after these sort of worst parts of it had been taken out, and the Australian Christian Lobby came out and went, this is not the bill we wanted. They're, of course, the right-wing, supposedly Christian organisation, although as a person of faith myself, I'm yet to be convinced they've actually read the book. Um, but they were like, this is not the bill we want. And the political capital required by Scott Morrison to get it through the Senate where he would have to negotiate Central Alliance and One Nation and Jackie Lambie and the Greens and all these other people in order to get a majority to pass it was overwhelming and he's running out of time before the election. So the religious discrimination bill was dropped it's it's really quite extraordinary what Labor were able to do because let's just, just say it one more time, the Liberals have, with the Nationals, 75 votes in the House, which gives them an outright majority They can pass whatever they want with those 75 votes. Um, they had an extra two from Craig Kelly and Bob Catter, 77, and the Labor Party with 68 votes had to find a way around it. And they can't block it. I need to keep reminding people of this. There is no chance of blocking it. And people go, oh, yeah, but, you know, they could have made a symbolic stance. And it's like all of their public statements were consistent with defending the right of the LGBTQIA community against harassment and discrimination, they even said that when Labor, if this if it passed this horrible bill, they would revoke it when they got into government, and that was consistent. There was some amazing strategy. People forget that Annie Albanese is a veteran of the Parliament, and in the period of the Rudd Gillard Rudd era, the last period of Labor government, had a very significant role. In the Parliamentary Labor Party for guiding legislation through the Parliament, people talk a lot about how Julia Gillard, despite the fact she was in the minority, she didn't have a majority of the seats in the House of Reps, but Labor had the, was able to form government with the support of Independents and a Green, which was Anna Brown, passed heaps of legislation. Well. Albanese was the one doing the tactics in order to make that happen. And it's that kind of skill and experience that enabled them to gut the legislation so it wasn't the legislation the Liberals want and the Liberals couldn't pursue it. So that's a win across the board for everyone. That's the outcome. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they should just, you know, vote against it and whatever. And it's like if they had have just voted against it, there would have been no political cover for the likes of Trent Zimmerman and it would have gone through and then... You know, like small, vulnerable children would be suffering, and that's not okay. So that was the big defeat of Morrison's, you can hear the dog shaking in the background uh, this week. And if you want to go into more detail, I've written it out blow by blow on my Facebook page. What I also want people to consider in terms of Morrison is it's he's not getting many wins on the board. So he's looking for some friends in some really interesting places. We note that he's been hanging around in South Australia. He even made a visit to the seat of Flinders. Now, Flinders is held by Greg Hunt, who is leaving the parliament, Health Minister Greg Hunt, as one would if one was Greg Hunt, at this particular juncture. Like that's supposed to be a very, very safe Liberal seat. And it's kind of revealing that Morrison is going to safe liberal seats to campaign rather than to the marginals that determine if that are you know swing between liberal and labour and determine government it looks a bit desperate and weird in the, in the broader scheme of things, he's also looking for friends beyond uh, the traditional Liberal electorate in that he has said very ambiguous things about what I call the carnival of cranks and that various other people call dumminats, uh, which is a very specific Canberra joke, or spring break for QAnon or camp COVID, which is, of course, the, in inverted commas, Freedom protesters, uninverted commas, who are currently camped out at the Canberra showgrounds. Now, these are people who are complaining against vaccine mandates, um, people who are complaining against essentially any kind of public health regulation at all. They're various manifestations of the anti vax movement. These are people who were complaining about lockdowns. They're an absolute grab bag of, like, of. Willness influences. Um, extremely right-wing people, uh, people are flying Trump flags, uh, they're insisting in the, you know, New World Order, uh, QAnon conspiracy, Daniel Andrews eats children, Hillary Clinton is the Antichrist. Like all of those people are there and there are um, various estimates estimates of crowd size. They've been there for a couple of weeks, um, that there are maybe around 5,000 of them. But it's kind of amazing if you look at their own statements about their presence, that it, they've estimated there were 150,000. And then a few hours later, they decided there were 500,000. I think we're up to 2 million um, is the although people who are in crowd management and law enforcement on the ground have that crowd at 5,000, but those people do vote because we have universal enfranchisement, a.k.a. compulsory voting in this country. Scott Morrison was asked about them today uh, because they have been obstructing the business of people in Canberra. And can we just, like in terms of being like a, you know, anti-vax movement... The vaccination rate in Canberra is something like 98%. It is one of the most vaccinated cities on the earth. But there is a global program, and I wrote about this in my Guardian column this week, which is also on my Facebook page, that there has been a siege of the Canadian capital of Ottawa this week of these kinds of people, these sort of grab bag of, you know, right-wing ideologies gathering and running truck blockades that have shut down the inner city of Ottawa. Uh, there are these sort of convoys that are going through Europe that, you know, are coming towards Brussels. It's been happening in Ireland. It's been happening in the in the UK, it's been happening in New Zealand. There were mass arrests in New Zealand this week of these sort of convoy people trying to, you know, protest um, reality really. And Scott Morrison was asked about them and gave this speech. Like you're supposed to say, I absolutely condemn this outright. People associated with this movement are talking about hanging politicians. People associated with this movement have been flying swastika flags and, um, you know, Trump flags and making all kinds of conspiratorial statements. People associated with this movement in Australia are the ones who set old parliament house on fire, which is pretty unambiguous kind of gesture to try and justify politically, you know, they're talking about somebody threatened to hang me um, this week because I had written an article about it. Hi, whoever you are, that's not going to happen. So, and Scott Morrison, you know, made this statement that he wasn't responsible for vaccine mandates anyway. Like if you had a problem with them, take it up with the states. And it's like, why would you not be condemning these people outright? Anthony Albanese has condemned these people outright, but that's not what Scott Morrison has done. And, of course, the theory is that these people, you know, there's a One Nation slash United Australia Party Clive Palmer vote hanging around and certainly those parties have been trying to vote harvest around these sort of protester people. They've got to preference someone because that's how our system works, Scott Morrison might be making ambiguous statements because he'd rather like those votes to come his way, um, which is just a disgraceful thing given the kind of ideological content and agenda and you know the very sort of shadowy um, direction of these protests is a real concern. So- it's interesting to see that Morrison's Get Alba Week has resulted in him campaigning in safe liberal seats, sort of being ambiguous against far-right lunatics ruining Canberra. And let's remember that that protest presence shut down a lifeline fundraising event and a farmer's market in Canberra so they're not exactly champions of, um, of uh, you know, um, mental health or uh, freedom or the right to buy organic vegetables, um, which is interesting given some of their propaganda but where this leaves morrison is he's sort of on a pr mission to regain his daggy dadness and this is i mean i'm struggling with this frankly i'm i'm really struggling especially because this is a family show Lots of words I'd like to use to express my shock at some of the images that have been produced. Scott Morrison's going to be on 60 Minutes tonight in a special intimate portrait of the Prime Minister as a daggy dad. Um, some of this footage has already come out of him singing in front and sort of with his family the one line to the dragon song April Sun in Cuba that he knows over and over while playing a ukulele. Apparently they're also drinking Mai ties in this footage and – Of course, I remember Scott Morrison going to Hawaii and having a lovely Waikiki time while we in our little regional Australian home were packing bug-out bags and couldn't leave the house because of the smoke and the fires were not in our town but they were in towns that are next door. Um, And uh, I think a lot of Australians particularly remember his abscondment from the country while that was happening. And one thinks that there's somebody's pursuing a sort of double-down media strategy that one of his advisors is, just absorb the the symbols of the Hawaiian experience like the ukulele and the Mai Tai. I'm surprised he's not wearing a lei and um, and getting down uh, on his longboard at the beach um, to sort of position himself as this daggy dad. And it is, it is awful, like it is just genuinely awful, but it, we had that footage and it's only this week, can you believe it, of him at the hairdressers um, making another seat visit and to position himself as I'm just like you, I can wash people's hair and, you know, this is in the trajectory of the I build chicken coops and go to the football and drink beer and have QAnon people mind Kirribilli House and the other things that he does to make himself look normal that um, that are just completely awful. So that's we're going to obviously get an onslaught that the strategic aim is going to be to convince you that Scott Morrison's made a few mistakes but really he's just like you and he's quite harmless I'd say, yeah, no, given the fact he was trying to um, divide, conquer, wedge, destroy and didn't actually have the grip on his own party or, in fact, the political conversation to do either. It's going to be a really long couple of months. The election has to be held by May. So we are in the run up this week coming up. Is the last parliamentary sitting week before the election. It could be the last days of the Morrison Liberal government. It will be extraordinary to see what they try and thrust on us as division wedge cultural issues. And I'm totally disgusted that he wouldn't unambiguously condemn the lunatics running around with Trump flags in Canberra. But we are where we are. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, Obviously. This speaking to myself in a small room is not something that I've had a lot of um, Week on Wednesday experience with, although my audiobook, which is me speaking to myself in a small room, of my book QAnon and On is coming out on the 11th of May, and I'm also doing an appearance in Canberra to talk about the extremist threat, disinformation and conspiracy cults, what a coincidence, with Andrew Lee uh, at ANU on the 28th of February. So, um, I would like you all to check that out. That's obviously on all my social media. And I'd just like to promote our Buy Me A Coffee um, fundraiser. So uh, Ben and I very gratefully take contributions from people who like the week on Wednesday, like the work that we do, like the week on wrap, <laughs> weekend wrap. Um, our Buy Me A Coffee just it is literally just – if you've got a couple of dollars that you'd spend on a coffee for us, if you met us in person, um, to say thanks for the work we do, which would be really nice, please make a contribution to the show because we use it to on our tech and we use it on our production and we use it on our advertising. So it all goes back into the show to get the show to as many ears as possible and uh, create a community around the conversations that we like to have. And every Wednesday on the main show we thank all of our contributors by name whatever name they put into that particular fundraiser and some of them are hilarious um okay i hope i've done all right with the weekend wrap uh ben will obviously be back next week providing it's not a permanent injury and i'd just like to thank you all for tuning in and ben is here with me with his dysfunctional throat so i'm just going to say i love you very much benny and i hope i did okay i love you too benny remember be kind to yourself and to each other (laughs)